Holy God, I pray that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth are worthy in your sight. May you speak to us today. May we experience you. May you be Emmanuel, God with us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Morning. So, growing up, one of the things I loved about Christmas was that every year my mother used to set up a nativity scene. And despite being told not to play with it, and coupled with threats of being grounded, when she wasn't looking, I used to fold these figurines into my toys. And so, all of a sudden, the wise men and Joseph would be fighting alongside my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, trying to fight the evil Master Shredder and the Foot Clan from stealing baby Jesus. I know, it sounds a little odd, but hey, I was seven, it made sense, and what else do you do with stained glass nativity figurines? My thought was, why couldn't the great three kings of Orient contain supernatural powers that could render cartoon villains powerless? I mean, they traveled across field and fountain, moor and mountain. They followed a yonder star. I thought they could do anything. Well, just like my seven-year-old self, I think there's some myths and some misunderstandings about these guys that we should clear up. First, the term wise men is kind of a lame King James translation of this Greek word magoi, which really means magician, sorcerer, or someone who is wise at interpreting the dreams or stars. And second, what's funny is we've, we've latched on that there were three of them, but the scripture never tells us the number of wise men that there were. There could have been seven, there could have been 17, they could have needed pack animals to carry their treasure. Additionally, Matthew's gospel, the only one to tell us that these wise men from the east came, when he wrote it, he probably had in mind this priestly caste of Persian astrologers who were believed to possess these supernatural powers and knowledge because they studied the planets and the stars. They would have been the ones that leaders and kings would have consulted to figure out what to do in important matters. And they were the academic elite of Near Eastern society in the first century. And as we look at Matthew 2, what's funny is that we really can't be certain why Magi came from the East. Scholars have labored, and by labored, I mean labored, to figure out what Matthew's star might have been. And despite our best efforts, all we know is, at best, conjecture. And even if it wasn't, there's really nothing more likely than a group of thoughtful astrologers noticing some strange events in the heavens set out on a journey to see if there was an earthly counterpart. However, today, because of our Christmas pageants and our nativities and our songs, we see these men as kings or wise men. And it makes sense, because you really don't want a bunch of Zodiac-believing, what's-your-sign-asking occultists marching up to the altar on Christmas Eve. Hence, we refer to them as wise men. So yeah, we've made the story of the Magi a little more palatable and stageable over the centuries. And I would say not only for our younger audiences, I think for our more romantic ones, too. Because Matthew's original story is this tale of political intrigue, of deceit and escape, one that ends with the Holy Family ducking for cover into Egypt and kind of a reverse exodus. One where the evil King Herod slaughters the innocents back in Judea. Still, our nativity scenes get at least one thing right. That a wayward star led these pagan magi to an epiphany regarding the light of the world. That's what I want to spend some time talking about today. Because I think the magi are this really cool case study 
for what it means to experience epiphany. Their experience was one where in the face of baby Jesus, they were outsiders who were invited into the faith. One where all they knew was contradicted by the truth of what they experienced lying in a manger. Theirs is one of moving from ignorance to insight. See, these men, they were considered to be some of the most educated and wise of their time. They knew so much, and they were able to bring that knowledge to bear in various settings. They were a part of the religious and academic intelligentsia. Yet their story, the story of their journey, forces them to go beyond just what they know. It forces them to go beyond what they can see and observe, what they can weigh and measure. It moves them away from this objective posture as scholars of the stars and places them in the middle of it all. For me, it was a star as well. Some of you may have heard the story of my coming to faith, but it fits here, and so I think it's worth telling again. In high school, I really struggled to know who I was. I didn't know, I didn't know how to feel comfortable in my own skin, if that makes sense. I didn't like who I saw in the mirror, and I didn't like who I was. I didn't know how to make sense of all of my feelings, and I also didn't really feel like I had someone that I could talk to about them. And as a result, I turned to partying. I drank a lot, I smoked a lot. It was an escape. It was a way to self-soothe. It was a way for me to rise above these feelings of insignificance and insecurity that I carried. And I don't for a minute want to glamorize it and act as if it was healthy or safe or even smart. It was none of those things. But for a night, for a season, it was a way to not feel the way I felt. And I remember one night lying in the back of this truck bed. I was with some buddies and we were on a beer run and I didn't fit in the cab and so I laid down in the back of a truck. I know, not smart, don't do it. Um, And as I'm laying in this this truck bed, I'm looking at the night sky and I kept staring at the stars. And I had this, as I did this, I kept recalling this hymn from youth group, this line that said, in the stars his handiwork I see. And I had this realization that I had not thought about God for a very long time. And in one moment, I felt very alone and very distant. And in the next moment, I felt God's voice. I don't have to say it differently, but I felt God's voice say, I'm here. I'm with you. Stop running. It terrified me. I, I, it terrified me so much that I just was like, I don't even know what to make of this. I'm going to blame it on that I had too much to drink, and I'm just going to act like it never happened. I tried to ignore it. And so for the next couple of weeks, when I, was, I would distract myself with friends and school and different things, but I found that whenever my mind was unoccupied, that it would drift back to that night and what I felt God say. And then I happened to randomly run into a youth group leader that I'd been close with in middle school. And we dispensed with our usual small talk and said, hi, hello, caught up. And then he looked at me and said, Colin, I heard what you've been up to. I want you to know that God is here, that God's with you. Stop running. My mind, it just, it went blank. I was so afraid of God, afraid that he would never accept me, afraid that I would never like who I saw in the mirror, 
afraid that I would feel this alone forever. But that moment began my epiphany. Through that night, through the stars, through what I heard my youth group leaders say, God spoke to me. He moved me from my ignorance to the insight that he was with me and pursuing me. And just as God made himself known to me, he makes himself known to the Magi as well. See, the star that the Magi follow is where they first experienced God. God made himself known to them in creation. And so as they follow this star, they're led to Jerusalem, where priests and scribes consult scripture. And that scripture points them to Bethlehem. And so with a star to guide them and scripture informing them, they're led to a manger. God's revelation, his revealing himself in creation, gives rise to their quest. And God's revelation in scripture informs them and points them in the right direction. Finally, God's revealing himself in Jesus satisfies their quest. Creation's revelation can only bring us so far. It's good and God gave it to us. But scripture has the power to point us home to Jesus. God in his goodness uses both for the Magi and for us to point us home. And for the Magi, it brings about their epiphany. So from Jerusalem, the Magi traveled the nine miles to Bethlehem following this star. And when they came to the house, they saw Mary with this young child, and they worshipped him. Let me say that again. They worshipped him. See, English isn't helpful to us here. In Greek, they differentiate between the words to pay homage and worship. And most of the times our translations put both of those words into worship. But if we look at the context, if we pay attention to these guys and what they're doing, we have to look at that they were really coming to pay homage to a new king and give the equivalent of a really nice shower gift. <laughs> they had no intention of falling on the ground and worshiping this infant baby. But they did. In the presence of Jesus, they beheld the incarnation of God. Their epiphany was Emmanuel, God with us. In the presence of this small child, they had this divine moment of clarity that moved them from ignorance to insight. In their ignorance, they used what they knew to get them to this place. But when they arrived, they were given insight that gave new meaning to all that they knew. And that was in Jesus. I like this story. I like it because I think it calls to the forefront a challenge that many of us face. We live in a society that affirms and honors people who know things. And dare I say, a country and a city and maybe even a church or a neighborhood, we like to know things. Knowledge is power. And we have elevated knowledge and focused our efforts towards the quest and pursuit of it. And I think an added challenge for a society that knows much is that it also begins to believe that it can do much as well. I would offer that we do this with faith 
too. We treat it like the Magi treated the stars. It's something to be known and interpreted. We've attempted to amass a wealth of knowledge about God and Jesus and the Bible, sometimes seemingly for its own sake. But what we find in a manger forces us to move beyond this. The epiphany of the Magi was that they no longer just knew things. They knew someone. They knew God. And their experience forced them, it led them to renegotiate all that they knew and give it new meaning. It allowed them to move from ignorance to insight. Such great insight that they were told in a dream about Herod's plan and they chose to go home by a different route. They worshipped, and then they were changed. They worshipped, they found insight that led to meaning, and it changed how they lived. Recently, my wife and I had our own epiphany. About a year and a half ago, we completed our five-year plan. <laughs> I know, you're excited, aren't you? I can tell. <laughs> No, it was the plan that we'd put together when we got engaged about what the first five years of our marriage would look like. And part of that plan was that we would get married. Check that. I went to seminary. I graduated. I was ordained. My wife, Carrie, began teaching. She taught sixth grade, and she was also able to earn a national certification in elementary mathematics. We also didn't have any kids. That was the big one. We were bound and determined to not have kids. It was the benefit of marrying young. We could enjoy these years, be rooted in our relationship. We didn't want to have kids. Well, as we completed this, these first five years and were excited about what God had done and what we, where we felt like we'd come to, we made a new plan. It seemed simple. We wanted to begin to have kids. We wanted to buy a home. We wanted to begin to settle into the lives that we'd always talked about. I mean, it's a plan you see happen for so many people. It didn't seem crazy. It felt like a plan that anyone could, ha could do, and hey, we're achievers. We can do anything. So we began trying to have kids, and nothing happened. And by nothing, I mean nothing. We never even got pregnant. We tried all the tips and the tricks that you read online and that your friends tell you about, we got nothing. We brought our knowledge and skills and finances to bear to try and have this child that we so desperately wanted. We got nothing. So we started praying, and we started asking God what he wanted and what his plan was. And I know some of you are probably thinking, but Colin, you're a pastor. Don't you just do these things normally? <laughs> Sounds crazy, right? No, unfortunately, it wasn't my first thought. See, like the Magi, we considered ourselves to be capable and knowledgeable people. But the challenge was that we couldn't make sense of everything we were seeing in front of us, despite all of the things that we possessed. And so we started our own journey of prayer and of listening. And on that journey, we found comfort in each other, in our community of friends, and in Scripture. And we started to hear God open our hearts towards adoption. And so after much consideration, discussion, and prayer, we began this process to adopt. And it's a journey that we're still on. 
but the epiphany that we had was that despite the challenges we faced, our call was to be parents and that we could be parents to whoever God gave us. God moved us from the ignorance of our grief and our desire to the insight of the life he was planning for us. I'm not going to lie to you and say there aren't still hard days. I can't tell you how hard this Christmas has been. And it's simple things that get to me. Uh, Ornaments that say, baby's first Christmas. Seeing the line for Santa pictures. The one that really gets to me is young dads with their kids. Carrie's got her stuff too. And we have these moments where we feel this loss, we feel this grief. But what I believe we have the opportunity to do is to trust God in the midst of that and to trust that he will lead us home by a different route. Maybe not a route that we would have chosen. I can tell you it's not a route we would have chosen. But I trust him that it's a route that will get us home. And it's a route that now he is with us, we are thankful for. The story of the Magi and of their epiphany is a story I think is important for us to consider. God uses epiphanies throughout Scripture to tell us how he's putting the world back to rights. It's actually, the, I think it's the purpose of the Bible, to give us some insight into this world and to invite us into the possibility and provision of his redemption. Epiphany is more than just knowing about something or someone. It's an experience with God that gives meaning to all that we know. I want to end by sharing a prayer with you that Carrie and I have found some comfort in. It's written by a man named Walter Brueggemann. It's called Epiphany. And I would invite you to close your eyes and maybe pray this prayer as I read it. The wise ones hurried from the east. They are the wise of the world. They are the ones wise in science, for they read the intelligent design of the stars. They are the ones wise of the economy, for they come with gold. They are the ones wise of politics, for they sought a king. They are our delegates as we stand, carrying all the learning of the academy, of the market, of the laboratory, of the halls of power. They came. Tenaciously and eagerly and regally, they came and bowed down before your foolishness. They sensed the contradiction between his vulnerability and their wisdom, between his innocence and their calculation, between his exposure and their many concealing robes of power. They worshipped him. They recognized that he called into question all that they treasured, So they yielded their best to him, their preciousness, their secret potions, their rich perfumes. And we stand alongside them with our wealth, our control, our smarts, our sophistication, and our affluence. Dear God, give us freedom like theirs to yield, to worship, to adore, to have our lives contradicted. Give us grace like theirs to embrace the foolishness of this child, that the first would be last and that the last would be first, that the humble would be exalted and the exalted humbled, that we may lose the world and gain our lives. God, give us imagination like theirs to go home 
by another route. On the path where foolishness is wisdom and weakness is strength and poverty is wealth. Make our new foolishness specific that the world might become through us new. Amen. As you hear this prayer, my hope is that you hear God's voice speaking to you. And as you leave here, I encourage you to ask God, where do you need an epiphany? Where in your life do you need to experience the presence of Christ that will give you insight that leads to meaning? And if you want to begin that today, if you want to ask that question with someone else, if you want someone to journey with you, know that we have people after each of our services to pray with you. People who would love to help you ask that question and to help you hear God's voice. May God meet you in those questions and may he give you insight that leads to meaning. Amen.